0: Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preacher's Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic.
1: Welcome to God's in this weekend's edition of our Sunday Lectio for the third Sunday uh, of Easter. I am Father Jacob Urchin Janzik, and I'm joined here with Father or by Father Gregory Pine mm-hmm. uh, here in DC. And our very own Father Patrick Barry Briscoe up in Providence, Rhode Island, who is with us via Zoom. Mm. So as we've mentioned for the past couple of weeks, we are now posting our high-tech recorded podcast on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, feel free to check that out. Um, as we've done for the past, I don't know, six weeks or so now. Uh, God we, love us. Yeah, I know it. Wow. We. Uh, we thought that we would dive into the Sunday readings with you all while um, we're home and you're not able to attend, attend Mass so that um, as we spend some time with the readings, it may prepare you, this may prepare you to um, celebrate the Sabbath well, even in a moderated form to be ready to make a spiritual communion and, and all the rest. Um, so as we have done, we'll, we'll begin with the collect for this week's
2: uh, Sunday Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May your people exult forever, O God, in renewed youthfulness of spirit, so that rejoicing now in the restored glory of our adoption, we may look forward in confident hope to the rejoicing of the day of the resurrection. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Father Gregory is going to take us into
1: the the first reading.
2: All right. The first reading is taken from the Acts of the Apostles. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed, You who are Jews, indeed all of you staying in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to my words. You who are Israelites, hear these words. Jesus the Nazarene was a man commended to you by God with mighty deeds, wonders, and signs, which God worked through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the set plan and foreknowledge of God, you killed, using lawless men to crucify him. But God raised him up, releasing him from the throes of death, because it was impossible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. With him at my right hand I shall not be disturbed. Therefore, my heart has been glad and my tongue has exulted. My flesh too will dwell in hope because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld, nor will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. My brothers, one can confidently say to you about the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is in our midst to this day. But since he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that neither was he abandoned to the netherworld, nor did his flesh see corruption. God raised this Jesus. Of this we are all witnesses. Exalted at the right hand of God, he received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father and poured him forth, as you see and hear. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: It's uh, difficult, especially in um, the, the state that we're in, it's difficult to comprehend how everything is being arranged by God. And I think we can't be re- reminded too frequently of God's power being behind all of this. So the line, the line that's really been sticking with me as I've been praying this reading is, it was impossible for him to be held by it. Death wasn't going to, death wasn't going to hold the Lord. The Lord is beholden to nothing not to death, not to any situation in the world. Um, I've been saying this multiple times to like everyone I meet uh, because I just learned that the year that St. Catherine of Siena was born, plague arrived in Sicily. And one year after her death, 80% of the town of Siena died from the bubonic plague. That is an extraordinary suffering. And to think to think of all of that being part of Catherine of Siena's childhood experience, what what all of those people must have must have themselves been experiencing? How they must have been asking, "Well, is this not more powerful than our God?" That that question is just coming to us. Uh, but nothing is more powerful than God, and and he is He's beholden to nothing, and that He's going He's going to continue to work um, in and through and despite and. Uh, beyond all, all of the situation all of the circumstances um, of our present situation that we found ourselves in
1: the um the last line of of the reading uh caught my attention as we kind of get through not get through that means that kind of makes it sound like something that we just do and don't like but as we move through the weeks of easter towards mm. towards the ascension and towards pentecost um, we're kind of given, given a taste or foretaste in the readings about the coming spirit. Um, the last line there, exalted at the right hand of God, he received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father and poured him forth as you see and hear. Um, through Christ's death and his resurrection, the resurrection that we're still living, living within, he opens the doors of heaven once again to those of us here, here on Earth, those of us who are invited to share in His divine life, um, and through His death and resurrection, that promise of sanctifying grace and the promise of life within within God is also offered. Um, and as Christ tells us, is fulfilled in in the the coming of the Spirit, in the um, in the bestowal of the Paraclete, the promised one, um, the outpouring of the Spirit that is to come. Our Lord is kind of preparing His disciples and preparing us in these weeks to to be ready to receive to receive that spirit. I often, when I think of the promise of the spirit, I often think of, um, that beautiful song, hymn piece of polyphony. I don't know exactly under what category it falls, but by, by Thomas Tallis called if he Love me. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's based on the words from the gospel of John, but, um, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. Um, and I will send you the, the spirit is essentially a rough, memory translation of the lyrics. Uh, it's in English, but of, <laughs> of the gospel of John, so not a translation. I just I don't, don't remember either. them exactly. And now I'm being laughed at. Uh, Talk perfect. good. Talk good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so the gift of the spirit, um, is part and parcel of who we are as Christians and part and, and what, and we ought to be preparing to receive, to continue to receive the graces of Easter that are fulfilled in the spirit. Um, the spirit that re, that reveals and teaches all things that reveals all of truth. Um, and we see this work too continued in the church. And this is one of the beauties of, of, the reality of the catholic church that that same spirit that's bestowed upon the apostles that is given to us in the sacraments particularly in the sacrament of confirmation is that same spirit that guarantees the unity and the continuation of and and the truth of the church it's the same spirit that guides us um, from the time where you know we're baptized god willing to the to the doors to the gates of heaven um and those those weeks are upon us now um so the the reading from acts here ought to inspire us to continue to ask for the outpouring of the spirit in our lives even as we're sort of trapped behind locked doors like the disciples were when you know when they first received the spirit
2: so some of the words that struck me most from this reading are this man delivered up by the set plan and foreknowledge of god you killed using lawless men to crucify him and specifically there you know as father patrick noted this notion of the plan and foreknowledge of god that christ operates within the plan and foreknowledge of god So, you know, in Christ, there are divine and human wills, and his divine will, obviously, is is that of God, there is only one. And his human will is perfectly attuned to the divine will. So even like in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see him say, you know, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's not saying that as a human, he doesn't want this thing, because as a human, he does, in a sense, want this thing, but he experiences a kind of revulsion to it. Naturally, it is alien to him. It is not in keeping with, the kind of ordinary human inclinations. So there's a sense, you know, we we affirm that that Christ in his divine and human wills is perfectly attuned to the will of the Father and to the will of God. Um, But there is still a freedom that he exercises, which is to say that he does not observe this plan, this foreknown will of God, slavishly, right? He's not like a rock, which just resists being broken up by a hammer, nor is he like a plant which just turns towards the sun, nor is he like an animal which acts instinctually. Um, The Lord continues to choose it. And this for us is illuminating because the Lord is supremely free. And so if it is the case that the Lord is supremely free, then our freedom ought be modeled on His, or it ought be conformed to His. So when we are dealt uh, a bad hand, sometimes we feel like we are made less free, that we're coerced, that we're constrained. Or we're somehow deprived of our legitimate autonomy or the full exercise of our human powers. But it's in the circumstances where the Lord's life is most difficult or where his life is most, you know, kind of tragic, that we see his greatest freedom expressed. So I think a lot of times we wish that we were born at another age or we wish that the sufferings that we are made to endure we other than they are, but it's precisely in those circumstances that we are made most free. And it's by the sending of the Holy Spirit that we are empowered and emboldened to carry out the task at hand, the one for which the Lord has brought us, you know, and I think of that line in the Gospel of John, I think it's in the 12th chapter where, you know, a voice is heard. Uh, the Lord says, you know, Father, uh, behold, or something to the effect of like, my, my soul is troubled now. What shall I say? Deliver me from this hour? No, for it was for this hour that I have come. Father, glorify thy name. And then the Father's voice speaks and says, I have glorified it. Um, So, so too, we speak in a similar vein or we speak with a similar boldness inspired by the spirit to be truly free in the midst of circumstances that that are just pretty terrible. (laughs) Yeah. All
1: right, Father Patrick, take us into our
0: second reading. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Beloved, if you invoke his Father, him who judges impartially according to each one's works, conduct yourselves with reverence during the time of your sojourning, realizing that you were ransomed from your futile conduct handed on by your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a spotless, unblemished lamb. He was known before the foundation of the world, but revealed in the final time for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God.
1: The word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God.
1: Peter reminds us in this reading that that God is a judge, and that God judges us according to our to our deeds and our and our works, which might not be, uh, you know, which is a source of contention uh, with with I guess Protestant Catholic debates, where where works or good works or faith alone, this this whole sort of thing falls. Um, I think you know, as as a bit of a tangential aside, um, Peter writes him, not writes himself as if he is wrong to say that God judges works, but has the whole picture here that it's in faith and hope in God um, that is the source of our ability to do good. Um, our works and our reward for good works, our ability to marriage is not based on anything that we just sort of try harder at, but, um, mm-hmm. but is always sourced in, in God's movement in us first. God inspires us or allows us to do things that redound to his glory. Um, and, and here, too, Peter, in calling upon this, um, is, is sort of fulfilling or pointing out the fulfillment of the Old Testament, um, particularly the psalm in Psalm 62, when, when the psalmist says that we, that each man will be repaid according to his works or according to his deeds. So there's this tradition that um, we're rewarded for our, our good works punished for our bad. And th- this is an important thing to realize in our life as Christians, because what we do shapes who we are. I think we live in a world that doesn't want to recognize this or that that says, no, this isn't true. I can do things and still be a good person. I can do questionable things or kind of amoral or immoral things. And at the end of the day, still be a good person. The Christianity, Jesus Christ has always pushed against that idea. We, What we do forms who we are it forms our character we build either good or bad habits virtue or vice you know we call somebody a liar or can say somebody is a liar because he lies or we can say somebody is you know a a prudent person because they do prudent things what we do shapes who we are Um, and in the resurrected lord in this time uh just three weeks from or two weeks really from easter um, we're reminded again by saint peter that we're given the grace Um, In calling God the Father to live righteously, to live a life of faith and hope in him, such that that this life of faith and hope spills over into the proclamation of the good news, into um, what we say and how we live being the very locus of the proclamation of the resurrection. And this is why Peter says that if you invoke him as Father, live your life in this way. Uh, because in invoking God as Father, we also invoke him as the cause of our goodness and the reason for our goodness. I think St. Paul exhorts us in this to, to live well, but to live well because of our faith and hope in God, not simply because we try harder or because um, we've decided to, to adhere to a particular moral code or something like that, but because
2: of the risen Lord, do we live in this way. So the word in this particular reading that jumped out to me was ransom. And in the Gospel of Mark, in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, the Lord is spoken of as a ransom for many. We're accustomed to talk about the salvation that he accomplishes in a variety of ways. So we say that like he merits our salvation because he performs this act of greatest charity and obedience to the Father. We talk about how he sacrifices for our salvation because he offers to the Father um, a kind of oblation that is more pleasing than our sin was displeasing. We talk about it in terms of satisfaction. So we commit this infinite offense against an infinite God. We only have finite resources to make up for it. So the Lord takes to Himself human flesh, so that in our nature He can offer a perfect and infinite satisfaction. We talk about it as a redemption, like the Lord buys us back, who are in bondage to sin. And this this word ransom here really kind of like plays out the notion of redemption that's at stake. Uh, in the early church, you know, the fathers talk about salvation in a variety of ways. And this ransom theory is, I guess, more popular than maybe than it is popular now, although it's been kind of resurrected in the past century. Um, but the idea is that like the Lord hid in our flesh. Uh, the Lord hid in our flesh. And when the devil, quote unquote, killed him, the devil overplayed his hand because it's as if the devil had rights over those who were unjust, over those who had transgressed but he had no rights over the innocent one and so the lord jesus in hiding in our flesh he kind of overthrows satan's kingdom now it's to kind of speak allegorically or it's kind of you know it's to speak um improperly because satan doesn't have any rights except what the lord permits him to do and the lord jesus you know didn't have to hide in our flesh he could have accomplished our salvation in any way he saw fit but it's beautiful that he we see him paying the price right? We see him buying us back. We see him uh, offer the sacrifice that is his own self. St. So, um, Augustine talks about there are four elements in a the sacrifice. There's the victim, there's the priest, there's the one offered to, right? And then there's the one offered for. Uh, so it's fascinating that Christ is the priest. He is the victim. He is the God to whom it is offered, and he offers it for us. So the nature of this ransom is uh, beyond our imagining, right? It's something that defies comprehension, but in its overwhelming us, right, it convicts us as to how very generous is the Lord Jesus.
0: So, Father Gregory's here for profound theological ideas, and I'm here for color commentary. This so, so story time. <laughs> it's <not leave> me. <laughs> Good looks. Some, somewhere in between. The faces, I think, generally, yeah, on the YouTube <laughs> YouTube channel that people All right, can come tune in keep on, so. Father,
1: Keep it moving. <laughs> so,
0: so, if you do turn, if you do tune into the YouTubes to see us on the tubes of you, um, you can see behind <laughs> me the on the bottom of Francisco de Zuberon's Agnus Dei. It's a beautiful painting, um, the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God, uh, which depicts Jesus. Um, well, it depicts the. It depicts the the lamb offered, being prepared to be offered. It's not uh, yet offered, so it's bound and prepared for sacrifice. So it's akin to a, to an image of the Lord carrying his cross, right? Christ, who is the spotless lamb that was offered for us. And we could think of the sacrifices of lambs that were made in the Old Testament, Abel's sacrifice that was most pleasing, Abraham's sacrifice of the lamb. So I have this painting on my wall because One day I went to a coffee shop in Providence with a friend of mine here, and we noticed that the barista had this image tattooed on her forearm. And so we said, hey, what's the deal? What's the deal with your tattoo? You know, and I'm wearing my habit, my Dominican habit, of course, so she could tell that I'm some kind of religious nut and um, that maybe that I would be open to a conversation like this and so so uh she that she explains she says well i got this tattoo because uh i'm jewish but then i learned that jesus was the true Lamb offered for the salvation of the world and when i had that explained to me i knew that i needed to be baptized so that i could be saved
2: right (laughs) yeah that's pretty cool it's awesome
0: so our Freedom was purchased not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a spotless, unblemished lamb.
2: Mm. There are the feet. there are the feet of the lamb. Did you get a matching tattoo? Maybe next trip. <laughs> nice. Okay. He has it on his Ankle. <laughs> <laughs> ankle. <laughs>
1: All right, on to the gospel. Let's do it. On to the gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And He replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him but we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And when he said to them, "Oh, how!" F-, and then he and he said to them, "Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?" Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he, was at tab- while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us?
2: yeah there's a lot here it's beautiful it's rich uh it has depths the likes of which are difficult to sound but a couple of small things uh, especially in light of the present situation um so right now most people their, their experience of mass is uh watching a live stream mass and recently i just read something from pope francis's homily the other day that was published on crux and he said that it's dangerous basically to have a church in which there are no sacraments and for which there is no community And in the course of, I guess, this homily that he gave during the celebration of the Mass of the Doma Santa Marta, he was saying that um, basically like the live stream Mass, our experience of the live stream Mass is not our experience of Mass. They're different things. They're decidedly different things. And, you know, for daily communicants, you know, you don't need this explained to you. You're like, yeah, (laughs) absolutely there is. But it's not merely a matter of being able to receive and not being able to receive. It's also a matter of the nature of the presence of the Lord Jesus that's made available when you're physically present and when you are not, when you're participating by virtual means. So I'm not saying I'm not saying that Livestream Masses are bad, but I'm saying that if Livestream Masses become our ordinary experience of the liturgy, that it could potentially undermine our sense of the way in which the Lord is made present sacramentally. Because look at the text here, it says, uh, and it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, those four dominical elements, which are mentioned in the institution narratives, which are mentioned in the feeding of the five and 4,000. And it says with that, their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. So yeah, there's a difference between seeing the Eucharist on the television or on your computer and then actually seeing it with your eyes, that they be opened and that you recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Um, Because yeah, the Lord intends it, that he be seen, that the words of the scripture be heard, that he be you know, held, tasted, touched, suffered in a way that's intimate, in a way that's bodily, in a way that's immediate, in a way that's present. Um, and yeah, the, the the circumstances as we have them now are not as they are intended. So yeah, I guess I mean we've we've been having conversations back and forth, and you can you know read things that have been published on the internet about live stream mass, about other options as you know like the. Civil authority tries to kind of reopen things, so too church authorities are working in accord with civil authorities to make the sacraments more readily available. You saw the, the Bishop of Las Cruces in New Mexico had lot, or excuse me, he had, he had drive-in masses during the Trudle and since has opened churches to congregations not exceeding five, which is the present, um, you know, like rules in the jurisdiction that he lives in in New Mexico. So there's like a real push in this direction, and it's good because these are the circumstances under which or the setting in which the Lord can be recognized, in which our eyes can be opened, and in which we can partake of the Eucharistic table, even if, you know, without receiving sacramentally, just to see it, because we are intended to see it.
0: There's a beautiful article on um, Awatea, a little website, I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, <laughs> It was written written by one of, written by one of our staff writers, Phil Kozlowski. That was great. I loved it recently, and it it brought to mind um, for me for the first time that I that I thought about it that um, perhaps the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that they could have been a married couple, which I think is just a really beautiful proposal that um, Clopas was Clopas was being accompanied by his wife. Um, uh, this this is very moving to suggest just to just to think about it in this present time, because so many so many um, people's experiences of life right now are, are are really centering in their family, and to recognize that the Lord is going to continue to come, to continue to come in the midst of family life, and that finding him there finding him there is when we can flourish. Pope Benedict says this about the road to Emmaus. Dear friends, the risen one enters our homes and our hearts even when, at times, the doors are closed. He enters giving joy and peace, life and hope, gifts we need for our human and spiritual rebirth. Only he can roll away those stones from the tombs in which all too often people seal themselves off from their own feelings, their own relationships, their own behavior. Stones that sanction death, division, enmity, resentment, envy, diffidence, indifference. Today the risen one enters our homes and our hearts, even when at times the doors are locked. He enters, giving joy and peace, life, and no. hope. That's the that's the, the beauty of um, today's gospel of finding ourselves on the road to Emmaus and finding the Lord enter into our family life.
1: Now you're gonna see two, two Dominicans fight over a theological Point because I was I was going to talk about Cleopas and the unnamed disciple and I was not going to say it was his wife. Perfect. Uh, but there are Give a different interpretation <laughs> There are different. I mean, obviously, it's not. We're not told who it is, so there are different traditions and different interpretations. But um, Cleopas has, at least in the fathers and the early tradition, has been linked with um, the blood brother of Saint Joseph, so the the foster uncle, as it were, of Christ himself, and the person with whom he was walking would um his son simon or simeon the site who became the second bishop of jerusalem um even if that's the case even if it's not his wife it's still a family so yeah, father patrick though he's, wrong, yeah. he's still <laughs> he's, his point still stands no i'm, I'm kidding there's this <laughs> different traditions even a blind things, nut right? finds a squirrel there you go um <laughs> but one of the the, the whole the, whoever was there who, the whole the whole Emmaus story is predicated on on, on their misunderstanding of of what's happening. Um, not that they were you know um, not yeah they're just their misunderstanding the lack of sort of the fulfillment of revelation of what has happened just a few days after the crucifixion, um, and even though Christ is is seen by these men he's misunderstood so he's not seen as christ until as father gregory was talking about the breaking the breaking of the bread and one of the things that they say that they were hoping for when they're explaining the situation is that he would that christ would that the messiah would come to redeem them and redeem them from this sort of tyranny of 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 political rule to sort of set free again the kingdom of israel which was the messianic hope of many of the the many of the israelites at the time Um, Christ came for a wholly different mission, to free us from tyranny, but not from tyranny from a political regime or um, some sort of domination in that realm, but from the tyranny of sin, um, from the tyranny of of death and the oppression um, uh, that that sin and death bring upon us. And the the thing that we have to, or that we're, I guess, perhaps um, led to understand in the reading of, of the story of Emmaus um, in the realization that Christ is not sort of a political pawn but one a God who comes to save us from from death, um, is that even in the midst of the situation that we find ourselves restricted by the disease behind locked doors, unable to receive um, the sacraments, unable to attend mass, sort of physically estranged from our families, all of these things that despite that and in that, Christ is still working to save Christ is still working. Um, to save and not necessarily from the sort of strange earthly circumstances we find ourselves in the, you know, we, he's tomorrow, you know, Christ may end the COVID crisis. He may not, you know, we, that's simply not what the primary mission of our Lord is, but we do know that the primary mission of our Lord is to save us from sin, to redeem us from our fallen nature and to invite us to live with him forever in heaven. And that's at work now. Even, the, even despite the, the restrictions, even despite the fear, even despite the unknown, that the, the mission of Christ and the kingship of Christ still rules and still reigns and still shines in this confused and scary and dark and whatever sort of situation um, that we may find ourselves. Amen. So with that, why don't we um, at least close with a prayer? The, for, for Mass, uh, the prayer after communion um, that is this Sunday's uh, prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look with kindness upon your people, O Lord, and grant we pray that those you were pleased to renew by eternal mysteries may attain in their flesh the incorruptible glory of the resurrection through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thanks for tuning in to this Sunday's uh, Godsplaining Lexio edition. Um, if you know somebody who you think might benefit from, from hearing this, share. please share uh, the episode with them, post it on your social media, spread the word. Um, of course, the Thomistic Institute is still hosting their quarantine lectures Tuesday and Thursday evenings and Wednesday afternoon. So if you're looking for another way to, to engage with the faith for deeper catechesis conversation, tune in to tune into that. Um, another new uh, option for you to check out is uh, St. Pius V's very own parish or parish series that Father Patrick is hosting with the pastor there, Father James Sullivan there on YouTube. So um, yet another glimpse into Dominican life. So as always, know that we're praying for you. Uh, We beg your prayers for us too. And until next time, God bless.
0: Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.